Hi, this is Tamika Kasten-Miller, and you are listening to Think, Flow, Grow. At the end of this and every episode, you will find a meditation, so stay tuned. I'm coming to you today after another shooting, another shooting, another shooting. The death of someone that people deeply care about. You know, each week, it seems that something new is happening that affects our mental health. And as a Gen Xer, it definitely feels that my heroes are fading. Year of 45 has been an interesting experience. I'm not impervious to the effects of what the news do either. So I'm not going to try to rationalize or overthink or think that things are any better than what they are, especially when we are living in crazy times. I will, though, also give some context and hopefully some options because at the end of the day, we are living in these times. Interestingly, my first thoughts are those of a historian. I'm taken back to medieval history when I think of history. I know, I'm a nerd and I love the Middle Ages and I go back that far. I go back that far because it's an interesting time and also because there are so many similarities to now, believe it or not. There's the privileged class. They have so much. They have this incredible courtesan culture. But then there were also nobles who suffered. There were poor nobles and nobles who had made bad decisions and as a result had a very difficult life. And many of those nobles were the fallen nobles. They were the people who came to the Americas. It's, it's very interesting to think about how proud we are of our forebears who came to this country. Many people get really excited about their European ancestry. And looking from a historical standpoint, unless your forebear was a marquis or viceroy, your ancestor was pretty impoverished. I mean, okay. He could have been a military man. He could have received a, a land grant. You know, that, that's possible. And I say he because that's who was coming. But essentially, you know, royals were trying to get who they didn't want there, here. So let's say that your European forebear was a woman. Well, she was definitely being sent to help populate the Americas and to help convince her European husband to stop raping Native and African women. So yeah, that's the reality of the European forebears. So getting back to their situation, I mean, there was suffering amongst poor nobles. Imagine than those who are outside of nobility and how they suffered. I mean, if those who had access to everything were suffering, imagine those who are outside of that community, outside of courtesan life, outside 
of perhaps the Holy Roman Empire and didn't get all of the good stuff that the Holy Roman Empire was giving outside of the Muslim Empire, depending on what time frame we're thinking about. If we're looking at medieval Spain, for sure, it was the Muslim Empire who was, uh, who was in power. And they were doing really well for a very long time. Uh, and actually, Spain and Portugal did better than a lot of other places. But again, that is a podcast for another time. But there were always people who were outside who felt like they were the ones that no one really cared about or outside of a situation. And doesn't that sound a bit like today? I mean, we essentially have two sets of society. We have the haves and we have the have-nots, and then we have some folks in the middle. But we have our own sort of nobility. They're the 1% of the population that has the majority of the money. And then we have everyone else. And we do have a middle class, albeit shrinking, but we do have a middle class, but we have a very large working class. And so we have the 1% of the population has most of the money, and then we have the 90%, 99% of the population that has less of that access of money. And there are levels of suffering within both of those groups. You know, back when I was in corporate America, I remember talking to a client who was an oil executive who'd had a heart attack and survived it, obviously. I was having the conversation with him. But I remember him telling me that he was stepping down from his position because when he had his heart attack, he was looking at his children who were there in the hotel room, then the hospital room with him, and he realized how little time he spent with them, that he hardly knew them. And so he decided to step down from his position. So there is suffering. Perhaps the wealthy 1% don't realize their suffering is actually isolation, separation, orienting their entire world perhaps to wealth, to financial wealth instead of, of emotional and spiritual wealth. But there's that. And then there's also the, the suffering within the working class. And there are levels to that suffering. African-American, black people, Latinos, and yes, even white working class people. And there are, of course, questions of privilege and all of it. But it, it makes sense. It makes sense that there are people who are suffering that can get goaded into very extreme ways of thinking, who then do extreme things and take extreme actions. And then we layer that extremism on top of the inherent racism in the US. You know, the very history that helped develop the U.S. into what it is. And that's why it's inherent. It's, it's a part of uh, the fabric of our history. And we compound something that's already complex, human suffering. And we take that, that individual who is suffering, and then we add to it unjust systems. We add to it inherent racism. And then we add to that a layer of scapegoating that points to certain groups for the cause of suffering. And we have problems. 
And the real reason why there is suffering in the United States is because there will always be haves and always be haves not, have nots in our type of economy. And this is just like the suffering within the Middle Ages. There is a lot of blame on Jewish people as the cause for the Black Plague. We know that that was not the cause, but it became easy to scapegoat one community as the cause of human suffering. So in medieval times, people began to come to the Americas, people of nobility, fallen nobles, poor nobles, and perhaps some that were wealthy but were willing to come, the adventurous ones. Then we have military men who needed or wanted another opportunity who were given land grants. And then we know later there are people who begin to come over who really need help. They need to leave where they are in order to get an opportunity. And they are willing to sacrifice anything for that opportunity. They, they, they make difficult decisions and they've bought into the concept of an opportunity or the plausibility of it. And even though they're not sure, they're willing to find out if it's true. So similar to the person who feels that they have no options, they, they make choices that serve a means to an end in their minds. And then you add all of the plausible problems, uh, mental instability, drug use, isolation, loneliness, racist, all these things that have been happening. Interestingly, the isolation and the loneliness are products of all of the layers of communication that we actually have that have created separation. So we have all of those things that come together and we have a perfect storm of opportunity for bad things to happen. And of course, I, I'll take this opportunity to speak to the obvious. You know, this speaks to our migratory patterns, you know, why people leave where they are because they need to leave. They're not trying to turn to horrible options. They're just trying to have a better life. And it is very interesting to me that the descendants of people who were in that exact same situation that now they are the ones who are criticizing and scapegoating. But these are difficult times, and when we are in difficult times, how do we gain a perspective? You know, I actually said to my spouse, is the U.S. going to come back from this? And I, for me, I have to turn back to history as a possible response. So if we look back to history in the medieval times, what comes after the Middle Ages? The Renaissance, an explosion of beauty and culture and art and writing. And there, was a lot, there were a lot of other things too, like scandals and all sorts of dirty 
lascivious attitudes and things like that and behaviors, but that is for another episode. I actually really enjoy talking about all of the dirty behind the scenes behaviors in the Renaissance, but not now. For now, we'll focus only on the beauty and the culture. And so artists begin to fill the world with beauty. They also begin to sell the idea of the church as this grandiose option, which has its own implications. But art steps in to create the aesthetic of the time, to tell people how to feel, and to create something that people can hold on to, can be inspired by. And it also informs the classes. Now we begin to see a bourgeoisie forming and a group of people that are led to believe that because they have access to this art or this thing or this piece of education or whatever, X, that they have this kind of semi-noble um, nobility to them. And it leads them to believe that they are better, that they are elevated, and, and even that they are better than others because they have something that others don't have. So of course, of course there are similarities to now. There are artists that are telling extraordinarily interesting stories, painting incredibly interesting art. Artists like Banksy, who is speaking for an entire generation. There are writers that are writing narratives like The Hate You Give, in which they're speaking for a population and getting a populace's attention. Art and artistry is giving a framework for where we are as a culture, and it's also providing something else for us to pay attention to besides just the news. And speaking of the news, you know, I have to admit, I just try not to watch the news. It's hard, though. It's hard to ignore the news because news is everywhere. And I say I'm not going to watch it and I'm not going to read it. And then my feed shows up and there's news and conversation happens, news. And people love to share bad news. They love to share bad news and sometimes good news, but mostly bad news. So what do you do? Mental hygiene. You know, we're not in control of the news, but certainly we are in control of what we bring into our mental view and our minefield and how we cleanse that. So in exercising a sort of mental hygiene, we can declare, okay, I'm not going to look at that feed or I'm not going to read from that news source. You know, I've found myself reading a news source I can't stand just to be pissed off at what it's saying. It's ridiculous. I am choosing, I am choosing suffering. I'm choosing to bring that into my mental view. So what I've started to do now is when I open Facebook, I'm fortunate it's not if I open Facebook, it's when. So when I open Facebook, if I see all negativity, I've chosen I will close Facebook. I have become the queen of scrolling. So if I see a certain name or story that I don't want to see, I just scroll past. It's beautiful. But you know what else? If I see something that is yet another shooting of yet another innocent black man, that's a video I refuse to watch. You know, the news is making a lot of money and keeping us in fear and keeping us engaged in very negative things because fear keeps us plugged into the news 
And what pays for news is ads, ad space. So the more we watch, the more ad space is sold. And we are actually paying, paying for fear. And every Eric Garner video or every innocent person being shot by someone, you know, that's the equivalent of a Sapruder tape. And we are watching the assassination of people over and over again. That is not required watching. And it's not required reading either. We know that there is racism in the world. We know that racism exists amongst people with power, especially here in the United States. And it's not unique to the United States. A friend of mine who is a naturalized citizen, he loves to complain about America's race problem. I love him so much. And I love to remind my friend who is an LGBT person that the reason why he is in this country is because he would have gotten stoned to death by living in his country as an openly gay man. We all have areas in which we can't be free if we're in one region versus another. Um, making comparison to these other regions is just not the answer, in my opinion. But making a choice as to what we bring into our awareness is and I'm not saying avoid reality. I'm not saying that type of awareness. I'm not saying awareness with that small implication like what we see on a daily basis. I'm saying awareness as a part of who we are. So no, don't avoid reality. But I am saying that our reality is bigger than the events of one day and one weekend. And if we look at U.S. history or the beginning of colonial or European contact in 1492, then we know that there have been horrific acts that mankind has levied against one another. Horrific acts that have spanned the question of time and the people who have suffered have changed. Initially, we look at the destruction of the Tainos in the Caribbean and with them being gone now, there needs to be new help, new people to work. And so, we go to Africa and we start with trading partners. And those trading partners are going to give us their undesirables. And then from there, oh, you've run out of undesirables or I want more, I want more, I want more. And so now people start stealing African mothers and daughters and husbands and children, future chiefs, future doctors, attorneys people with whole histories in front of them. And we know that when we look at human history, no Africans were stolen from their own homes. They were purchased, and then they were forced to make that journey. And if they survived that journey, then they were relocated to the Americas of forced labor. We know that story. But guess what? They weren't the only ones during that time who were stolen. In the case of Louisiana, for example, people started you know, coming, of course, because there was opportunity for the same reason everyone else was coming to the, quote, new world. But after a while, people stopped coming. They realized that it wasn't worth it. Louisiana was a failing economy. And certainly women didn't want to come. Why would they come? People didn't want to come. They didn't want to die in the wilderness. They didn't want to get in the middle of the battle between the invaders and the, and the indigenous folks here. 
So they stopped coming. But the French still needed to populate the colony. And they needed for the colony to be successful. So what did they do? They stole women. They robbed mental hospitals and stole patients. They stole the homeless. They stole anyone who was easy to get their hands on, people who were down on their luck. And they stole people who people wouldn't miss. They stole prostitutes. They stole all sorts of people. And these were all French people being stolen from France by other French people, put on boats and shipped to the New World. This was pervasive and required in order to give the colony a chance. So no, this is not the first time in which atrocities have been committed and directly affected this country. It is the very way this country has grown. It's grown through atrocities. And yes, it also grew out of the hope of a great idea that the experiment would work, that people would come to the land, work the land, and have the land work for them, and then establish a, quote, new world in which things could be done and liberties would be granted that weren't happening in the places from which they came. And part of that American experiment worked. You know, there are black people who are thriving. There are Latinx people who are thriving. Catholics who are thriving. Irish people who are thriving. All of these groups that weren't thriving initially. Groups that we forget about because we focus on only people of color. But we forget about these other groups who were also discriminated against. And you know what? They also forget that they were discriminated against. We forget about the discrimination against Chinese We forget about the discrimination against the Japanese and their internment camps that that happened right here in the United States. We remember slavery because we're still suffering the implications of it. But we don't want to discuss someone that we deeply respect, like Thomas Jefferson, having a concubine that he raped repeatedly for decades with whom he produced children. We don't want to talk about that part, even though it is a part of the implications of slavery. So we're still only even remembering part of that suffering. But these are things we must remember because the very nature of the United States is aggressive, is idealistic, is ideologue filled. But somehow it finds its way. Because at the end of the day, there are people who have light in them that they recognize. And they will be light to others. And without those people, there would have been no Underground Railroad. Catholics would have never been equals. There would have never been a John F. Kennedy Jr. because there would have never been a Catholic president. There would have never been a sense of community between black and white people if light, the light within people, would not have been seen by themselves and they would not have seen the light in other people. So as dark as our days are, we need to remember that. 
Our days won't stay dark. It is not the nature of our universe. Our universe is light. Our universe is beauty and truth. That darkness comes from our separation from that. And so we need to be careful with our mental hygiene. If the only thing that we're taking in is social media and news, and we're not taking in anything else, we're not taking in spiritual food, emotional food, if we're not doing those things, then we have no buffer for what the world is trying to tell us. And if we, we could consider even the universe as its own example, it goes to sleep and it wakes up every day. Theologian John, John O'Donohue uses the example of dawn and sunset. And with dawn, there's opportunity and newness of life. And sunset, the natural end of the day, is the opportunity to put away the day's trials and tribulations. It's the time for rest and rejuvenation so that the next day is a new day. And it's an opportunity for us to forgive and let go in darkness. And then when light creeps up, we begin anew. So beyond mental hygiene to help us get through difficult times, we also have to remember that our nation's problems aren't the only ones we'll experience. I mean, we still have deaths, difficulties, disappointments, job losses, loss of status. There's a lot of life that we're dealing with at any given time. And so also having that emotional food, that spiritual food and their gifts, when we are filling up on that spiritual food, then we are also then fortifying our natures. So think, consider filling up on a wonderful meal. You know, all your needs are met. If I'm, filling, if I'm having a great meal and I'm in abundance, I can share that meal with someone else, and I know that I'm sharing out of abundance. And so if we're filling up with emotional and spiritual food, and we have the abundance out of which to operate to share with others, but when we're deficient, we have nothing left. So part of the work is to fill up with that spiritual and emotional food. I know for me, for my emotional food, my, my friends, they're that emotional piece of feeling loved and honored and respected. And they remind me, they remind me of all the things that I am. When I forget, they remind me and they tell me I need to step into that power. FYI, if you don't have those friends, get a new tribe. My friends and my family, they help me see myself more clearly. My spouse helps me see myself more clearly. They help me with that feeling of wholeness. And then, of course, the work is also for, my, for me to see myself as whole and worthy because no one can fill up a cup that is bottomless. And then that spiritual piece... I think this is a question for the individual. You know, what do you need to experience spiritual fulfillment? Because of course, religion doesn't have to be the way, but there, there has to be a way of attaining spiritual food. It has to be more than just four walls and a computer and social media and friends who are gonna be an echo chamber of the lies we tell ourselves or the lies that media tell us. So there has to be more than just that. 
there has to be more to life than just that. In other, in, in other words, what is framing our perspective? And, you know, it's interesting. I, I do have friends who are a-religious or uh, perhaps they would even say a-spiritual. Um, and, and I always say, you know, it takes a lot of faith to operate out of a mindset that says that life is meaningless and we kind of just appeared and then we go away and that's it and we just stop existing. For me, we are energy and we are energy that come from a source. You can name your source, but we are an endless part of that source and that energy that we are is a part of source. And that, that spiritual grounding is crucial, not because of a particular dogma to live by or believe in, but because if I am energy, you are energy. If I am from source, you are from source. And no matter how much I dislike you, no matter how much I disagree with you, we are in this together. We are sharing the same breath. We are having a shared experience and we are sharing the same world. If I'm energy and you're energy, we are in this together. And I'm gonna see you as someone that I'm gonna seek to understand instead of me being, well, this is me and my world and this is you and your world and I'm right and you're wrong and all that. If we are tapped into a shared source, then that connectedness is what can help us get back to a shared human experience, which doesn't leave people isolated or relying on social media or a tiny group of friends framing a perspective and creating that echo chamber. Instead, we are seeking one another. We are seeking one another. And this is very difficult because there are people with whom I disagree vehemently and people without whose opinion I'd love for this world to exist. And whether or not I like it, we are all a part of the same shared energy. So my work is to create an energy that can offset that negative energy of that person who doesn't want to see his or herself in a shared experience. So I'll give an example. Let's call energy finite and we'll say it, it is the number of 100. Energy equals 100. FYI, I am not a mathematician. A good friend of mine and student is, and so she might laugh at this, at this um, comparison and I'm still going to use it. And I don't want any emails telling me about how I was wrong about this. But let's call energy 100. And 50 is neutral. And so 49 to 0 is negative and uh, 51 to 100 is positive, we'll say. You know, if we turn up negativity, the positivity goes down. And if we turn up positivity, the negativity goes down. And while I, I get it, energy isn't finite, or, or maybe it is, but we can offset that energy by whatever we're giving it. We are infusing our world with whatever energy 
that we are most going to experience. And this evidence again comes in the rise and the fall of the sun and the sunrise and the sunset. So for me, what I need is just to turn up the dial a little bit more. But also, one of my heroes, our fallen hero this week, well, she's not fallen, she's still with us, her energy is still with us, Toni Morrison. She had this quote that says, this is precisely the time when artists go to work. There is no time for despair, no place for self-pity, no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak, we write, we do language. That is how civilizations heal. And so in a time in which civilization is hurting for one reason or another, hurting because of lack of access to food or water, or lack of connection, or out of a lack of feeling of connectedness, or lack of love, a lack of safety or a feeling of safety. We are all creators and we are all artists and we are a part of the artistry that is civilization. And we can't be in that work if we're in our heads. I can't do the work if I'm in my story about what my belly looks like. How in the hell is what my belly looks like today going to make any difference for the world tomorrow? I could be aware of all the surface level crap, all of the tapes that I've allowed to play in my head about the surface level of myself, the superficial, and I could hang out in that space, but the world is better served when I get out of my own bullshit and get into the business of service. And so now is the time to be vigilant in the artistry of creation, of creating beauty and compassion in the world so that our world is a more beautiful and compassionate place. And it starts with us, with turning inward, the yogic concept of pratyahara. We turn inward, we turn our senses inward to see ourselves as who we truly are, beauty, light, part of a shared human existence, even with those with whom we deeply disagree. And we see them as a part of our human existence as well. And even though, even though they might be humans in need of some healing, and they, they might not be willing to accept that healing or that love, then we continue to create love and compassion and respect and honor. We turn inward and we practice pratyahara, we practice that turning inward of the senses to reset, recalibrate to heart energy, to the light that is truth. And then we continue to create with joy and we continue to be mirrors for other people by being compassionate, by listening, and by letting people feel seen and heard, and by saying, I hear you, and truly hearing them, and by listening to ourselves and our needs, by providing needs because we're listening to ourselves, by loving our bodies, 
and nourishing our spirit with friends and with family and texts and art that are edifying. I dare you to read your favorite author and not feel emboldened with beauty and inspiration, to not feel edified by their words, because that's what favorite authors do. That's what books do. Or to look at a piece of art or listen to a piece of music and be inspired by the creative joy or even the darkness out of which the artist was creating. An example of that is Rothko. I look at his work and he was certainly creating out of his darkness. But that tiny speck of light, that tiny piece of color represents that bit of light, that bit of hope or joy that kept him going for as long as was possible for him. It's inspiring. So if we take that call to action that Toni Morrison has given us to be creators, to be the creators in the light, be in the work of creation, then we as a civilization can heal. To prepare for meditation, come to a comfortable lying down position. Feel free to press pause while you get yourself comfortable. As you settle in, notice the connection between yourself and the ground. Notice your head and upper back touching the ground. Notice your bottom legs and feet connected and supported by the ground. Bring your awareness to the sensation of clothes touching your body. And now sense your breath. Notice the rise and fall of your chest. Determine the breath's location. Is it only in your chest? Or can you sense the rise and fall of your belly? Do your ribs expand outward or upward? Notice the breath enter your nostrils and travel all the way down to the pit of your belly and then work itself back out toward your nostrils. Bring your awareness to any thoughts See your thoughts pool alongside you to create a river of thoughts. They're not gone. Feel supported by your thoughts. Bring into your mind's eye any labels that have been given to you or that you've given yourself. Any roles that you play, all of the roles that you play. 
See your personality. And allow all of those labels and roles and attributes to float out into the ether to bear witness to your experience today. Now notice yourself in your mind's eye, see yourself lying on the ground. See yourself in your city. See yourself as light, give yourself a color. And now see yourself in your state. In your country. See yourself in earth. And bring your awareness back to your breath. And as you inhale, draw your inhale all the way to the crown of your head. Exhale toward your feet. As you inhale, draw that inhale from your feet all the way to the crown of your head. And exhale from the crown of your head toward your feet. Inhale, awareness from feet to head. Exhale, from crown to feet. Inhale, feet to the crown of your head. Exhale, from your head toward your feet. And continue breathing in this wave-like pattern. See your breath as color. And notice on your exhalations, the extension of your breath, the awareness growing bigger. Inhale from your feet to your crown. And exhale from your crown to your feet. And this time, bring your awareness to your breath, extending beyond your crown. And on your exhale, extend your exhale beyond your feet. Your awareness extends beyond you, beyond your body. See your light extending beyond the confines of your skin. See it beyond your home. 
see your awareness growing and touching the awareness of someone else. Notice the edges of your awareness or your color disappear, connecting into the greater awareness. See your light in a sea of lights. Notice their colors. Notice how these colors connect without any seeming edges. One color melting into the next. One awareness connecting into the next. See no differences between your awareness now, your light. Allow for your awareness to become a part of the greater awareness, a part of the greater experience. Sense wisdom being shared between your wisdom and the wisdom that you are receiving. Sense your experience being shared with other experiences as one whole experience. Since your breath unified with the breath of the universe, the breath of all of the light and the awareness, infinite breath with no beginning and no end. And enjoy for a while this shared experience, this interchange of breath and energy. And slowly begin to notice your awareness forming edges again, light, drawing back into itself. And see yourself as this light in earth, in your country. And come back to yourself in your state, in your city, and lying in your home on the ground. Notice 
any thoughts that were pulled around you like a lazy river coming back inside of you, becoming a part of you once again. Notice the rise and fall of your belly and chest. And take a deep breath in. and an even deeper exhale out. Take another full breath in, and exhale, ha. Begin to notice your fingers and your toes. Wiggle them bringing them back to life and animation. And bring in any other movements that feel good. And before you change anything about your position, know that you are a part of the greater intelligence, the Earth's intelligence, a part of a greater wisdom, the Earth's wisdom a part of everyone who has come before you and everyone who is coming after you, and we are all connected. And on your next exhale, send out love. Send out love into our universe. A shared experience that is compelled by love. And perhaps even commit to being and doing love today. Being a part of the healing that our world needs. It is always my honor to be a part of your experience. And my goal to leave you better than I found you. I hope that happened for you today. Namaste. You've been listening to Think, Flow, Grow. This is Tamika with Asha Yoga. I'd love to hear your feedback and would love to hear any topics that you'd like for me to address. Feel free to email me at tamika at ashayoga.com. Also, you can go to that website to find out upcoming workshops, retreats, and events in your area.